Good morning, everybody. Hope you're doing good. Uh, my name is Jeff. Uh, I'm on the teaching team, so I get to hang out here. Uh, I actually just attend this church, but I get to be on the teaching team, which is cool. Every once in a while, they let me come and speak, so I'm really grateful to be here. Um, hey, I'm going to also be at the Image Conference, and, and I want to say this. Um, I really think this is an important thing for our church to attend and be a part of, and this is why. Uh, I think there's a lot of information out there as mental, mental health has become something that lots of us are talking about, interested in, reading about. I think to have a biblical framework for it is really important. So one, I think it'll be really good for you, but I think it'll also be really good uh, for friends and family to invite them into, and it will create a more holistic conversation around this as opposed to just like Oprah's version of it, you know? So uh, I hope that you're able to attend. I really do think it'll be a good time for us uh, to be together. Um, if you have your Bibles, Philippians 3, and we're going to read that right now, and we're going to read that a bit slow. And what I would encourage you to do in your phone or if you have one of those really old-fashioned Bibles that you write in, um, that, that, that do that. Circle, circle some things that stand out to you. Maybe I do circles and squares and underlines for different things. Like maybe as we're going through this slowly, uh, circle some things or underline some things or highlight some things that really uh, stand out to you. So Philippians 3 verse 12. Not that I have already attained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you, and in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. This is the word of God. And everybody said, amen. So uh, a couple of weeks ago, my team, Phoenix One, I run an organization called Phoenix One. And part of what we do is, most of what we do is we work alongside of local church staffs because uh, they're caring for you. So we're caring for them. So we spent a lot of time with local church staff just trying to care for them. So we were at a conference. We got invited to a conference with, I think, about 120 worship pastors from five different states, something like that. And they asked us to come out. I did some speaking, but our team came out. And uh, it was in Huntington Beach, which is a really hard place to do ministry. And so... Um, we, we set up our little uh, flag down by the beach, set up our beach chairs, and we just waited down there for when, if people needed to go for a walk or they needed to talk, um, that was our office for a few days. It was a good office, right? Um, and I, I love the ocean. How many of you love the ocean? Just raise your hand if you love the ocean. There we go, my ocean peeps, right? I love the ocean. As a part of this kind of healing that I've been going through, this uh, uh, trying to care for myself, the ocean has been a place that has been very restored 
restorative for me. And on top of that, um, surfing has been another thing that's been really restorative to me. How many of you have ever surfed or liked to surf or would even consider yourself a surfer, right? Okay, so you know that pain, right? Because the ocean doesn't care how cool you are or how cool you think you are on a surfboard. It will make you look like an idiot, right? It doesn't care. It doesn't care. And so uh, surfing was helpful for me to realize how little I actually am in control of. So it's actually been a really helpful thing for me. So I was excited about going to Huntington. I was excited about doing the conference, but I was really excited about going surfing. And so I had about an hour between my next session that I was doing. um, And so I thought, okay, I'll go catch some waves. I'd been watching them in the morning. I'll go catch some waves and then I'll come back and and take my next uh, session that was coming to meet with me. And so I get out there and I have a long board, nine, nine foot board because I'm old. And I start paddling out and I find the place where I want to be and I can see a set that's coming. And in a set... It was like five waves, at least on this day, five waves. So a set is five waves. And so I'm paddling out and I see where this kind of the first wave is kind of going to be and where I want to be. Now, I haven't surfed in a while because we moved from California to Arizona a year and a half ago. So I'm a little out of sorts. So uh, I get out there and I start realizing, oh, these waves are really close and they're really big. And I paddle up that first wave. I'm like, oh gosh, this is not good. And then bang on the backside of the wave. And as you're on the backside of the wave, it's pulling you right towards the shore, which means you have to paddle even harder to get over the second wave. Um, And so I was in what they call the dead zone, right? Which means I didn't get in position enough to get away from that wave. And what I had to do was throw my board off to the side and then dive through the wave. And the wave was so big that it actually snapped my board in half. And now I have an anchor attached to my soul that's pulling me to the depths of the sea. And so I'm like, oh shoot. So I have to rip the strap off and then I still have three waves. So the third wave hits me and takes me under um, and does this washing machine thing. It's really a weird thing if you've ever been through it because you go through all these emotions. You're like, don't panic, don't freak out. And then you're like, you're an idiot. You know better. Like, you know this better. You know how to surf. You know how to do this. And like, so I was going through all that stuff. And then a really significant thought was like, don't die. Like, don't die. Like, that was a really prominent thought I had. Don't die. So got through the third wave and realized I was in a really bad spot. Um, out of breath. My heart rate was elevated super, super high just to survive the other couple. And I was in a bad spot. I had to realize I had to swim towards shore. But it was, I had panic set in, which doesn't happen very, very often for me. Um, and it never really has happened in the ocean too often to me. And I was really scared. I actually was really scared because I knew I had these two big waves behind me. Long story, I ended up getting to shore. I sat down in my seat. I actually grabbed the pieces of my surfboard. Um, and uh, I'm sitting there going like, what just happened? And I'm, out of, I'm trying to catch my breath. I'm really upset. I'm really overwhelmed. And I started to think like, I think that's how a lot of us are feeling. You know, like overwhelmed, panicked, hurt, crushed, really hard on ourselves. Like I should have known better, you know, like stupid. And now I can't even go. I'm, I'm like terrified to go back into a place that I actually love, like worried that if I go back in, like I had to work and I realized like, wow, I think that's everything. Like that's what we've been trying to work through. That's what so much of what we're, all of us are experiencing right now, or a lot of people are experiencing right now, feels very similar to that. And that's why I think Paul is such a helpful example for us in Philippians. 
Paul is going, consider it all joy, right? Like we're, we're working through this book and joy is a, the, the, the dominant theme in this book. And you're like, how can this be? Well, 30 years into his ministry, he's 30 years into his pastoral ministry. He's in prison and he's starting to discover there's something so much more than our circumstantial pains and hurts and disillusionments. There's something else. And so he comes to this young church to pastor them in what he's learned. For 30 years, he's learned something and he's wanting them to desperately know about it. And that's what we've been doing over the last little bit here is going, how do we counteract what feels so overwhelming at times? And this is why I think verse 10 of chapter three, before we get into verse 12, like I'm like, I gotta go here because it's so important. Mark touched on it last week, but in verse 10, he says this, I just wanna know Christ. I just want to know Christ and I want to know him in every aspect of him. I want to know him in his death, his resurrection, and his suffering, which is essentially to say in the good, in the bad, all of it. I want to know Christ. But that term in the Greek is so important. It brings out so much more for us. It literally means the most intimate knowledge. It's not just following Jesus. Knowing all of him. I know my kids. I know them, and I, I love them. I do not know them like my wife knows them, right? Moms are like, amen, right? Like, I do not know my kids like my, what, my wife held them in her stomach. She nursed them into health and into existence, and then once again nursed them, nursed them back. Her body did that. The Lord provided that. She knows our children far greater than I do, a more intimate knowledge of them than I do because they were in her. That's why she's telling me all the time, I didn't have babies for fun, don't hurt them, right? Don't go cliff jiving because you think it's gonna be awesome. Like I had to birth them, right? Meanwhile, I was drinking Coca-Cola uh, on the couch while she was birthing this baby. It was like a hotel experience, it was really cool. Anyway, um, she said it was a different experience, I don't get it. But, um, so she has a more intimate knowledge of my kids than I do, and I love my kids. And this is what Paul's trying to say, is Paul's going like, no, 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 this is consummation with Christ. This is a language that takes us all the way back to Genesis, a yada, which is created in the image. We are image bearers, not just image bearers. We are one with Christ, abiding with him. And Paul's like, I want all of that. And all of that affects everything. It affects everything. But then in verse 12, I love this. So he's giving us this high thing about what he's done, where he's been, his experience. He counts it all as losses in considering of knowing Jesus. And then in verse 12, he's like this. Hey, not that I've already obtained it, attained this, or that I'm already perfect. He's like, listen, I'm not saying I got this all together. I have this desire. I want to be this way, but I'm not perfect. And I don't have it all together. I love that Paul did this for us. Like, because at this point, Paul is at the height of his pastoral apostolic ministry. And he's going, y'all, I don't have it figured out. I don't, I don't have it all. I want it. I desire it. But I don't have it all figured out. I'm not perfect. 
which brings us a great relief because essentially sometimes we do that. Oh, they've got it all put together. They've got it all figured out, and they don't. Sometimes people think that about me because I get up here with a microphone and preach the word of God. I'm a hot mess, just like you. I'm just trying to figure it out and try to be holy before God, just like you. I am work, I'm like with Paul. I'm like, I, I'm trying. I'm not perfect. I don't have this figured out. I've not yet attained it, but I want to be honest about where I'm actually at. And I think that is the problem for so many people is not being honest with where you really are at in your life right now. This is what Paul's in, encouraging us to do. Just get honest about where you are at. Get honest about yourself and where you are. It starts there. God gave me my wife as a part of my sanctification process of being like Jesus, right? Because here's what I want. I'll get done teaching. I'll go home and I'll go, hey, what'd you think? And she'll go, it was good. I'm like, it was good? We talking about right men are just grown-up boys that want our wives to go it was the best sermon I've ever heard you are so special and what a gift from God that's what I want from her right because I'm like yeah but she loves me so much she won't do that she won't do that because she's like no 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 I don't want you to get an inflated ego I want you to remind you you need Jesus and yeah, I'll give, you a com- I'll, I'll give you a compliment. Well done. She's, essentially, she goes like this. It's your job. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I guess you're right. But you could throw me some love, you know what I'm saying? Right? But she loves me enough to not let me just remain idle in my inf- inefficiencies. Right? Which means she's partnering with the Spirit of God as a part of my sanctification process, which means this. Ladies, if you got a guy in your life that's like you four hours in a bathroom to Mona Lisa this thing, you know, to go out in the world, like, and you got a guy that just goes, you are the daughter of the most high God. You're beautiful the way you are. And you're like, you don't understand. No, that's a good dude. You need to listen to him. He's trying to push you towards who God says you are. Guys, if you got a lady in your life, right? who is telling you, grow up. That is a good woman. That is a good woman. She is partnering with the Spirit of God to awaken something in you, to get honest about yourself. The problem with so many people is they just won't be honest with where they actually are. And this is what Paul's doing. He's modeling it for us. He's like, look, get honest about where you are. It's okay. There's this great quote by Warren's, uh, Warren Worsby. He's a commentator, and he says this. That a divine dissatisfaction is essential for spiritual progress, which means this. We don't have it figured out, and it's okay. It's what propels us to know more about Christ, his death, his resurrection, his life for his glory. You actually going, I'm not perfect, I don't have it figured out, is a, an essential part of you growing in your understanding of who God is. It's okay to not be okay. But what's most important is you realize I'm not okay. And I need help. And I need you to guide me and lead me, Lord. I need help. And then he says this. He says, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. About 10 years ago, I was candidating uh, to be a pastor at a church and uh, different churches all around. And I ended up at this uh, 
a church in Southern California that was interested, had gone through like three interviews with them. And, and we were sitting, and, and this guy had written a bunch of books, and just a, a good guy, but we were sitting, my wife and his, he and his wife and uh, the elder and some other people were sitting on um, the, his back patio, like an overlooking, uh, in Oceanside, kind of overlooking the ocean. And, uh, and I was just rattling on with all my stuff, like giving all my accolades, giving what I had done in ministry, all that I had accomplished, blah, blah, blah. And he stops me and he says, hey, Jeff, you have nothing to prove and no one to impress. You have nothing to prove and no one to impress. Maybe some of you needed to hear that this morning. And I just started crying, which back then I wasn't prone to tears. I just started crying. Because I realized I had spent my whole life trying to be a somebody, trying to make it happen, not really being honest with what's happening inside of me. And it's almost like through his words, he exposed something in me. Hey, Jeff, it's Christ in you, the hope of glory. It's not just you. It was almost this permission to like, remember what the Lord has done for you. That's why Paul is saying this. Paul's like this, I'm all in, but I need to remember what I've been through. Like Paul's going like, I love Yahweh. I've always loved God. Paul, Paul loves God, has always loved God, but he rejected Jesus, the Messiah. That's why he's standing there holding coats while they're stoning Stephen, the first martyr of the Christian faith. And Paul just continued to be uh, moving forward in that, trying to get rid of what he believed was this heretical movement and where he was killing Christians until Jesus didn't abandon him in that, but met him on the road to Damascus. The risen Jesus meets him on the road to Damascus and says, I'm going to reframe your world. I am God the sinless son of God, and I love you, and I am calling and commissioning you to go share this good news that you've experienced. I do not see you as a murderer. I see you as a son of the most high God. Go and share that good news. Paul's going like, y'all, this is what's happening to me. This is what I'm experiencing. Christ Jesus has made me his own. He has made me his own. God has told me who I am. And here's what I love about the local church. We are a broken body who is being mended by the Spirit of God for the glory of God. But it's a work that he's doing through us, not a work that we've done. Some of us need to remind ourselves of when we came and met the Lord, of what it was to face our sin and feel the grace and the mercy of God Almighty covering us to realize we had nothing to offer and yet he had everything to offer to us. This is what Paul is saying. Wait a second, Christ Jesus has made me his own and I press on to make it my own because of what he's done for me. And then verse 13 is so important. And he says this, but one thing I do, hey, this one thing I do to this church, it's almost like he's having a conversation with them, like he's going for a walk with them. He's like, hey, hey, I got one thing for you. One thing, forgetting what lies behind, straining forward to what lies ahead. So many of us have rooted our lives in the past that we can't move forward in who God's called us to be today and in the future. 
It's rooted in past hurts and pains. It's, hurt. it's rooted in the way that you view yourselves through your own sin and depravity, the pain that you've caused other people. And you're rooted there. Like when I, when I started this counseling process about four and a half years ago, four years ago, it was about the first six months and it was like an ice bath. I remember like walking through with my counselor and realizing that I had hurt a lot of people. That I had crushed people. Not meaning to, I wasn't trying to, that I had hurt my wife and my kids. That I, had, I was prideful. That it was all about me. I couldn't see it before how I'd use people and I didn't know that. And it really was overwhelming. So I just went on a crusade to tell everybody I'm sorry. So I just went around and was like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I even went like prophetically to people and go, if I ever hurt you, I'm sorry, right? Like I was just an, I'm, I'm like, I was like a Pez dispenser for I'm sorry's, right? And so I met with this lady from our church, a wise lady. She prayed for me every day. She's like a saint. And, and I took her and her husband out for lunch. And I just sat down with her. Look, I'm so sorry. I, I, I just, you know, I, if I've ever hurt you, if I've ever offended you, I'm so sorry. And she goes, okay. She goes, Jeff, I think you're, you're done with the I'm sorry's. I think you're all done. What she was saying to me was like this. You keep living in this when he's calling you to this. That your ministry is not over and doesn't just reside here like you've got to make up for all this bad that you've done. It's, you've been covered by the blood of the lamb. You've been forgiven. She's like, go forgive yourself. Some of you need to learn to forgive yourself. Some of you are so tethered in the past that you can't move forward in who God's called you to be. Paul's like, this is not gonna work. I just wanna let you know that guilt and shame are crushing so many people. The shame you feel for what you did or didn't do, the guilt you feel for what you did or didn't do is creating a toxic venom in your heart and soul. And Paul's like, you gotta stop. You gotta stop. Because whether we know this or not, what we're doing is we just like wanna keep Jesus on the cross. Instead of realizing that he died and rose again that he who knew no sin became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. He sees you as righteous, but some of you keep him on the cross. Like it's, the work hasn't been finished. Like it's not done and that you're not liberated and you're not free and that you can't have life and life to the fullest when he's like, you got it all, baby. Because of what I did for you, you have it all, life and life to full. Now go live that out. This is what Paul is declaring to you and to me and to this young church. He's like, you need to move forward. Do you remember the story in the prodigal son? The prodigal comes to his senses. It says in the scriptures, comes to his senses. And as he's walking home, he conjures up this apology to his father. Father, I've sinned against heaven and I've sinned against you. I'm not worthy to become your son. Take me on as a slave. And you can almost hear him repeating that on his way home. Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm not worthy to be your son. Take me on as a slave. He shows up to the father and this exchange is so important for your souls. He shows up, the father hugs and kisses him and, and he starts in on this and the father just completely ignores it. Do you know why? Because the father's just glad he's home. But the son has not yet come to understand how gracious and loving the father is. 
all the father is saying is, I'm so glad you're home. But the son wants to live in the past of what he did, of how he hurt and betrayed. And Jesus won't have it. He won't have it. He's not a mercenary. He's the king of kings and the Lord of lords who sacrificially sent his son Jesus to die on the cross and raise again because you couldn't do it on your own. I couldn't do it on my own. Come home, he says. Come home, which means you can't keep living in the past because what your eyes are fixed on, you will follow. And Paul is saying this. There's no time to look back. The mission that is in front of us, in front of me, is far too important. It's far too important, which means we got to deal with some stuff. So this is what I'd like you to do. I'm going to give you a few minutes. And maybe as I was talking, something popped into your head. You're like, yeah, I keep bringing that back up over and over. I feel guilt and shame over this and over this. And it keeps rotting away my soul and my mind and my heart. It's leaving me into deep levels of depression, sadness and loneliness. And what I want you to do is I want you to I want you to write that down. I want you to, this, this question might be helpful to set it up for you. What from the past is preventing you from moving forward? What from the past is, is preventing you from moving forward? I wanna like you to take out your smartphones or if you are a journaler and just journal that out. What is that thing? What from the past is preventing you from moving forward? I'll give you a few minutes. Father, meet us in our hurts and our pains. Spirit, awaken those things that keep chaining us down to earth, 
when you offer us everlasting life and life and life to the full. Heal us, help us to for forgive ourselves as you've forgiven us, to receive that forgiveness from you so that we can forgive ourselves. We praise you this morning. Thank you for your grace and your mercy that covers a multitude of sins. Amen. Some of you uh, <clears throat> want to know what to do. Like, you know, sometimes you come in on Sunday, you hear stuff, and you're like, wow, that was cool. That was in." But what do I do when I go home? Do this. Go home. Like, journal. What's going on? Where can you be honest with yourself? Start working through that. Bring that before the Lord. I think for the vast majority of us, like forgiving ourselves and forgiving others is at the core of most of our dysfunctions. And so some of you might need to just go through a process of bringing that before the Lord and saying, I need to receive your forgiveness for me, but I need to forgive myself. And I also need to forgive this person that maybe caused that pain in my life because it's preventing me from moving forward. I keep going back and going back and going back, living that trauma out over and over instead of moving forward in the grace and the mercy that covers a multitude of sins that Jesus offers you. That being said, I think one of the things, one of the disservices that we've done in churches is like just pray and get over it. It takes a long time. And that's why I have a mentor, I have a counselor who's helping me walk through wounds and pains of my past. Yes, I do the personal work, but I also have people who walk alongside of me and help me. And I wanna encourage you to do that. Um, I don't, you know, again, we're not here just going like, hey, just, it's in the past, just don't worry about it, just pray about it and every, it's like, no, 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 those are real things, real hurts, real pains. Um, but go get some help, ask for help. Go find somebody to walk through. Share what's going on. Open that up. Don't keep what's in the darkness in the dark. Bring it into the light so that you can move forward in what Paul's trying to say because he says this next in verse 14. But I press on. I press on. I press on to the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. He's like, look what Jesus did. Look what Jesus did for me. Look how he loves me. Look how he cares for me. I'm going to keep my eyes fixed, fixed on Jesus. And what he had his eyes fixed on was the mission that God had called him to. The Missio Dei. To redeem all of mankind from their sins. And it's like Paul's going like, I want to participate in that. I want to move forward in that. I want to do that work. Not just alone, not just here in prison, but with brothers and sisters in Christ, the ecclesia coming together as a body in Christ, broken but redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, moving forward what He has called us to move forward, to push on, to press forward, to realize for each and every one of you that God has uniquely designed you for a right now purpose. And you can't see that if we're always living in our past. But right now, you are alive and you have a purpose. Which means if you're a doctor, go doctor. If you're a teacher, go teach. If you're single, get that single thing on, right? Like if you're a mom, go mom. If you're a dad, go dad. If you're a student, go be a student. But do it for the glory of God. For a right now purpose that he's called and commissioned you for. That your life is greater than your individ own individual pursuits. I feel like this is the message I'm going to preach till I die. 
because it's the work that God's been doing in me all these years. Go be who he's called you to be for his glory. Don't get caught in the currents of your past hurts, wounds, and pains. Present them to the Lord. Live in light of his grace and mercy and move forward. This is a quote by David Guzik, and I really love it. It says, the prize is the upward call of God. The prize is the call itself, not the benefits that come from the call or any other thing. The prize is being able to run the race at all, working with God as a partner to do the work of his kingdom. Isn't that beautiful? You matter. But if you're so tethered down to all the things in the past you, and you can't move forward, then what happens in your heart and soul is despair. And despair is crushing. And it's crushing so many people. And Paul is trying to liberate this young church in the same way that we as a local church are trying to liberate, liberate our, our community. Don't take your eyes off of Jesus. Stop placing your, 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 all your hope and, and, and desires and attention on these things in the past, but move forward in who you are for the glory of God. When Cooper got diagnosed, I told you my, my middle son, uh, Cooper, was diagnosed with leukemia when he was eight years old. And so I went through this process of like, okay, what is this disease? I want to learn about it. And found out like in the 60s and 70s, if you had leukemia, it was a death sentence. Like kids would just bleed out. It was horrible. It was awful. And it was very disparaging and dark. And there was a guy, his name was Dr. Feinreich. And Dr. Feinreich was a man commissioned to try to find a cure for leukemia. And he did all these experiments to try to find a way, all these concoctions to try to get kids healthy. And what happened is a lot of kids lost their life. And so they called him Dr. Death. And finally, everyone's against this guy. They're going, going like, listen, we're causing too much harm. We just need to release them to their disease. And there's this one story where they're all in a board meeting and all the specialists and all the doctors who have been working alongside him say there, there is no hope. There's no hope. They're just going to die. And Dr. Feinreich smashes his hand down on the table and, and breaks the table and said, if we don't give them hope, then what are we doing here? If we can't give them hope, then what are we doing here? And he continued to move forward. And as a result of that, he created the program that my son went through. And as a result of that is cancer free. And we look at Cooper all the time and go like this. Lots of kids had to pass away so that you could live out this hope. And I think for you and I, I think the same thing that we need to remind ourselves our hope is in Christ and he has liberated us and set us free to be hope in the world. And it's a wonderful responsibility. That's why scripture says to whom much is given, much is required. Much hope has been given to you. So don't waste it back here. Move forward in what he's called you to do, called us to do. We are to be the hope agents in this world. That's what we're called to do. So go live that out. Yes, go deal with your stuff. Go get help. But don't forget who you are. You've been rescued by the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords through his son, Jesus, his death and his resurrection to cover a multitude of your sins so you don't have to go 
feeling bad about yourself, but you get to live into the newness of life that he offers you. Maybe the best thing you could do is just repent. I'm sorry, Lord, that I'm not lived this way. And I wanna live into this newness of life so I can be a hope beacon to the world that they can see that there is a savior.